Thank you very much, everybody. Wow, Cal, what a word. I'm supercharged by that word. How many of you are just supercharged by that word? Wow, you know, God says, receive the prophets and, and you'll be established. It will go well with you. And so we receive that prophetic word, Cal. Thank you so much. That was the word of the Lord. Wow, in season, like perfect in season. Wow, the year of Jubilee. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, speaking of in season, um, we are in a, the, we, we've been in a series at the beginning of this year. The team, just in prayer towards the end of last year, just felt that we should start the year off with the month of January uh, with the theme of seek first. Of course, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And a very famous verse of the Bible. Um, and so I want to uh, just, my, my job today, my privilege is to finish off this month series. And as I was preparing, I just had this desire, Lord, fill me with a word that you, so that we do not stop seeking you throughout the whole year and throughout all of our lives. And that's a fairly tall order, but I'm really grateful to the Holy Spirit for the word that he put in my heart. And the title of my message today is Joy in Love. Joy in Love. Woo! Turn with me to our key scripture. I always love to have a key passage of scripture. And uh, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 to 2. Hebrews chapter 12. And the context of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, is that the writer of the book of Hebrews has just finished an entire chapter of talking about all the heroes of faith in the Old Covenant, in the Bible at that time, because the New Testament was being written in those days. But he's, he's, he's sharing the stories of the heroes of faith all the way through from Genesis to Malachi. And he's saying that what they had faith in, they never quite received it because we have received it in our day in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of the Father. All the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. And those promises that we would be perfect in him, that we would know his father in his love, just like he has always known, and that we would be filled with his very spirit, just as he was. All of that has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So now we're the sons and daughters of God. And because we're the sons and daughters of God in the son himself for eternity, we now can call God daddy. We have his very spirit, the very spirit of the Father and the very spirit of the Son living with us, in us, if we believe in Jesus and we're born of the Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Father, the Holy Spirit himself lives on the inside of us. Woo! So awesome. So awesome. And then he says, he, this is like his, his, his sort of, the moment, 
of the total summation of everything that he's saying is promised in Jesus. He now says it right here. Therefore, verse 1, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I want you to notice it's in the plural, everybody. He's speaking to community. He's not just speaking to you and I as an individual. He's saying we together, let us throw off every weight of hindrance. Let us throw off that sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance this race. Let's do it together, he's saying. And he, he's, he says, looking to Jesus the founder or the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising or scorning the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's eternally with the Father in the highest place. I want to give you from these scriptures, the four keys that God's given me to give you and share with you at the end of this seek first month so that you continue seeking first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness for the rest of this year and your entire life. Four keys to enable you to live a life that's worthy of Jesus and pleasing to him in every good work. What would your life look like if you were to love God, to love yourself, to love others, and joyfully give your life away. My four points that I want to draw out this morning to you, that I believe if you will live in these four points, you will endure all through the year seeking God first and his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. All blessings will be added to you. All prosperity will be added to you. But it won't just be for you. It'll be for him. It'll be for you. And it'll be for everyone else. And not only that, you will enter in to this glorious joy, this this extraordinary fun if we were to say the word joy in perhaps less biblical terms because we the moment we say joy we this filter comes down over us oh joy that's a church word what about have fun what would the world think of the church if the church realized have fun i just got this feeling i would have wanted to join in a whole lot sooner the problem is, Jesus came to show us that the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast, but we, the church, have turned it into a funeral. But I believe that the Holy Spirit, this morning, he wants to restore for us. We can change the whole church, but you know what we can do? We can change ourselves. We can make a decision that we're going to change. As for me and my house, we're not going to be at a funeral all day. We're going to be in a wedding feast. We're going to be in joy. That means we're going to have fun. But you know what keeps it? What keeps it? 
is joyfully give your life away. Have fun giving your life away. All of a sudden, that beautiful oxymoronic coupling of joy and sacrifice, joy and gener extraordinary generosity that is of such a high quality that your entire experience and your entire expression of giving your life away is joy. And the only way we can enter into that is to understand that there's joy in love. That this joy we're talking about is the automatic overflow of love. And love is love. God is love. Love is not a human thing. Love is a God thing. Love's who God is. But guess what? We were made in his image. And that means that it's a human thing. But it took God who created us to become man, the created, like us. To be willing to be made in the likeness of sinful flesh. To be willing to step into the very creation that he created. Where he put his image into Adam and then into Eve. And to, and to Adam and Eve together. He said, this is very good. This is the perfect image of us. This is the perfect image of the lover, the beloved, and the love. This family, Adam, Eve, in us is the perfect revelation of God. It's the perfect image of who we are as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, it's so good. It's perfect in Jesus. And the tragedy is that Adam and Eve put a veil over the perfect image of God by choosing to walk in disobedience to God. The first expression of loving God, those of you that are taking notes, the first expression of loving God is obedience. And the only way we can obey God is by hearing his voice. And you know how Jesus said that, that the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart? Well, guess what? As we draw near to God to know his heart, to do what we call intimacy with God, that means drawing aside to be alone with God when no one else is looking. If, if you and I are doing our thing for an hour and a half or two hours on a Sunday morning, that's our best effort and expression of loving God really well, we're so far away from the heart of God in what he desires of us. Because what he desires of us is not a, a, an hour and a half or two hours or maybe joining a, an Ignite group, uh, sorry, a Connect group midweek and, and giving him those two as well. What he's actually really after, 24-7. He's after 24-7 intimacy with him. 
And when we draw aside to be with him, if we set aside time every day and make him our priority, then all of a sudden, out of the overflow of that time, we will live with God as our priority. It's a little bit like this. If you have a quiet time first, you'll have a quiet place in your heart for God the rest of the day. God will be your first thought, your middle thought, and your last thought at night. You will do what Kate was talking about. You'll be a glory carrier and you'll be connected to that glory and you'll be hearing the voice of the glorious one and revealing that glory while you're walking around in your job. When you're in the bank as a banker or when you're in the hospital as a nurse or whether you're in the truck as a garbage collector, or whether you are a mom or a dad at home taking care of your children, or, or whether you are an accountant with, surrounded by numbers and looking at money all day, you, or whether you're a lawyer and you're just coming up against, oh my goodness, I've got this truth and justice, truth and justice. Uh, how am I going to navigate all of the, the, the things that are, the demands that are being placed upon my integrity? as a lawyer all day. How am I going to do that? I'm going to do it out of the overflow of my intimate love affair with the God who created me and created them, who knows all things, knows the truth, and knows what justice looks like. And so if we spend this year Learning to love God really well. Learning to love ourselves really well. I don't mean ourselves, I mean yourself. And learning to love others really well. And we just enter into the joy. We have fun giving our lives away. We're going to live a life that's so worthy of Jesus and so pleasing to him. It's going to be an extraordinary life in which all the angels will cheer you as you walk into heaven. Hopefully not this year. But we don't know, do we? We don't know when our time will be. So, I want to just pull out a few things and, and we're going to do some introspection and then we're going to welcome God the Holy Spirit to come and do it all for us because after our introspection you'll probably come to the similar conclusion as me help I want to draw out that Jesus in this verse Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith, he loved God above all things because he obeyed God. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey me. Excuse me, 15, 14. In John 15, 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And he also said, the words that I speak are not my own, it's my Father living in me. The Father had, has always said to the Son from all of eternity, Son, I know you love me because you're so obedient. 
And there was no manipulation in his voice. There was no impurity in his voice. There was no demand of him. It was just simply that I experienced so much love from you, my son, my beloved, because all you desire is to please me and to bring my heart into its full expression. I love you. And so here we see Jesus for the joy that was set before him. Who set that joy before him? That he endured the cross. The Father. Son, will you? Dad, I'm going. All the way. All the way to death. All the way to death. You're going to give up all of what it means to be infinite God and you're going to become a finite man and as a finite man you're going to have to live that perfect life that I created Adam to live in the very first place yes dad you know that's why we created him because you desired me you loved me so much you wanted to multiply me in multiple expressions of who we are so yes I will go because I know that it's the only way I don't know if they had that conversation. I'm just saying that something was set before Jesus and Jesus said, yes, all the way to the cross. Secondly, I believe this verse shows us that Jesus loved himself. How do we know that Jesus loved yourself in himself, if you get my saying? How do we know that when the Father said, love me and love yourself and love others and set that before him, that Jesus perfectly loved himself with that love that he received from the Father? How do we know? We know it from two things. The first thing is that he scorned the shame. What's the first thing that happens to us when we, for whatever reason, become insecure recognize that we've hurt others, recognize or realize we've not loved God with the love that he's worthy of, what's the first thing that happens in the presence of ourselves when we're face to face with our own sin? The first thing that happens is, boom, fear pops up into our hearts. Then, shame. Well, actually, shame fills our hearts. Then fear that somebody else is going to experience what I'm experiencing about me, my self-hatred, my unworthiness, my lack of, of self-worth, my, my uh, self-rejection. And so what do we do? Out of that fear, we hide. We hide. We hide so that nobody will see the truth that we really suck. And we believe it. And instead of loving ourselves well, we're full of self-hatred. And out of that self-hatred, we control everything. We become control freaks. I've got to control my world so that you never, ever discover that I'm shameful and that I'm, that I'm evil, that there's something profoundly wrong with me. Well, guess what, everybody? Jesus at the cross... As he hung on the cross, the entire sin of the entire world, every single tiny little sin or big sin that you and I and every other human, past, present, and future, that's ever been committed by human beings, all of it came on Jesus. And as it all came on his righteous, perfect soul, even though he'd committed none of it, 
He embraced it and he took in all your sin and stood with you in all that sin and said, Father, I'm taking it, I'm owning it, and it's so completely mine, it's as though I committed it all. Therefore, I'm paying the price on this cross. And perfect justice is satisfied. And he never was ashamed of you. Not once. Or me. Not even of Adolf Hitler. He scorned the shame. How could he scorn the shame? Because he loved himself so well. Think about it for just a moment. Agape love is self-sacrificial love that is not on the basis of deserving or not deserving. It's perfect love. It's meritless love. It's love that is extravagantly given from the perfect to the imperfect. And Jesus loved himself even when he became you in all your sin. Still loved himself. Still said, Father, I love me even though I've become them because I know you love me because you love them. I'm not ashamed of them. I'm not ashamed of me. Second area, second reason we know that he loved himself. I'd never thought of this, but Ash listening to the first time I preached this this morning, she came over to me and she shared, Duncan, look, he endured all the way. He endured all the way. How could he endure all the way? He in, was able to endure all the way because he loved himself, because he loved his father in him, and he loved the spirit in him, and he loved that he is the son of God. And so he loved the son well, he loved the father well, he loved the spirit so well because he knew as a human and the image of God, perfect. And I'm going to love. I'm going to go all the way to the end until I take all the imperfect images of God and I make them all perfect when I give my life on the cross. He loved himself so well, he made it. You understand? He loved himself because he loved the Father, he loved the Son, he loved the Spirit, and he loved you and me in himself. Wow. And second, and thirdly, Jesus loved others. And we don't don't need to dwell on that particular part in, in this moment, other than it's just obvious from the whole passage right there that the whole the whole thing of the joy being set before him, enduring the cross, despising its shame, all of it was because he loved others. He loved us all so perfectly, he gave his life for us all. And uh Again, in John 15, 13, we read that greater love has no man than he lay down his life for his friends. Oh, so obedience is better than sacrifice, but Jesus obeyed and became a sacrifice for us all. Perfect love was revealed. But then he reveals that this giving your life away, the secret to being able to give your life away is to is to focus on the joy in giving your life away 
that as a result of you giving your life away, perfect love is being manifested, and imperfect love is joy. And so I believe that the joy that was set before Jesus was the Father's eternal pleasure and was the eternal pleasure of the Son and you and I enjoying eternity together, the Spirit himself enjoying our presence for all of eternity. That joy, Jesus never let go of it, and he endured all the way to the end. Love kept him all the way to the cross. And because love kept him to the cross, because love kept him and love was the goal, perfect joy was manifested in his heart. So I want to just look at our lives now. How well are we loving God? How well are you loving God? Now, this really kind of messed me up this week. In fact, it's, it's honestly still messing me up. It's really messing me up. Because how well do I really love God in my thoughts? Is he my first thought? Is he my last thought? If someone sits down and needs some advice or there's a moment where wisdom's needed, is my first thought, wow, this is my opportunity to shine. Show the people that I'm sitting with that I'm darn clever. Or is my first thought, Lord, I want to love these people really well. And I want to love you really well. And I want to love myself really well. And so in this moment, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to give myself away. I'm going to give my opportunity to shine. I'm going to give it away. And I'm going to ask you for wisdom now. Would you give me wisdom so that I can answer this person really, really well? Maybe you're at work and, you know, you're about to make an investment. And ordinarily, your first thought would be, well, if I, I'm going to do this. Oh, my goodness. And the next thought would be, and if I do that, oh, my goodness, am I going to be significant in this company? My boss is going to see that I made that decision. My boss is going to be so proud of me for making that decision. Oh, man, I reckon I'm going to get that pay rise. I'm gonna, uh, you know what? I, I am going to for sure get that bonus. Or is that first thought, Lord, I'm joyfully giving my, love, my life away right here. You know, you have all wisdom. You know and understand. I'm loving myself so well right now that I actually don't need to have the best idea to feel loved in my heart by myself. I'm going to just let your love shine right now. What do you think I should do? Is that investment a really good idea or not, Lord? And bam, God gives the answer. And before you know it, you start getting really smart and really fruitful and really rich. And you end up getting that promotion and you end up getting that bonus. But you know, none of that was your effort. All of it was the fruit of a love-filled life. And therefore, it comes with joy. It comes easy. You don't have to hold on to it because you know it was given to you. So you don't have to selfishly hold on to it. You can be generous with that. Because you know the God who just outrageously blessed you is going to outrageously bless you again if you give it away. See what I'm saying? It's a different thought, isn't it, everybody? What about, what about our words? You know, 
I think when we read the scriptures that life and death are in the power of the tongue, when we realize that we can make decrees that bring life, that we can make decrees that totally transform the atmosphere, we can make decrees that brings uh, children into this world, we can make decrees that bring spouses into this world that we've never had before. Uh, that's for the unmarried. <laughs> that we can make decrees and we get upgraded houses. We can make decrees and, our, and the poor around us, God brings in shifts of, of management and so on in the world around us that leads to poverty being eradicated, etc. And it all comes from the start with a decree. Why in the world would we use our tongues as Christians to use the F word liberally? And somehow think that that is okay. It is not okay to use the F word. Or the S word. Or the B word. Or the C word. Or any other nasty Vulgar language beginning with whatever letter. And you know something? Nobody around you thinks you're cool when you do it. Nobody. Everybody around you is defiled in that moment. Even people who also liberally use those kinds of words. They feel the defilement. So why? Now think about this, everybody. You might not think of yourself... You might think, you know what, I'd rather not be known as a Christian right now because the word Christian has got so much connotation or whatever. I want to be known as a follower of Jesus. Okay, fine, you can be known as whatever you are as long as Jesus on the inside of you is Lord of your life and you're born again and born of the Spirit. Don't have a label. Be a follower of Jesus. That's great. But the world around you, when they know you're a follower of Jesus, they're going to call you a Christian just like they did with the early church. It wasn't the Christians who called themselves Christians. It was people around them that called themselves Christians. You are defined as a Christian by everyone around you. Why would you bring Jesus into disrepute as a Christian in their minds by using the F word, dropping the F bomb left, right, and center, using the G word, using the J word, using Jesus' name in vain as if you're just one of them? You were not born again to fit in any longer. You're born again to stand out. You're born again to shine. And shining doesn't involve the F word. I'm talking to all of the world online here. And by the grace of God, just so that you have hope that you can make it from now for the rest of this year and for the rest of your life without ever using the F word again, even if you do hammer your thumb, You can make it to the end of your life without allowing these lips and this tongue to ever partner with Satan and use vulgar language. And not even just vulgar language, but negative language, speaking death. Oh, my leg's killing me. And then wondering why you die young. Such and such and so and so, man, it's killing me. I can't stand this pandemic. It's killing me. By the grace of God, and I say this not to show off. I say this to give you courage. 
I'm 54 years old. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 20. I got so radically saved, so filled with the Holy Spirit. I've never used the F word ever in 34 years. Not once. You can make it. You can devote your heart to Jesus so that your mouth is a reflection of your heart. How well do we love ourselves? You know, Proverbs 14 verse 1 says this. It says, a wise woman builds her house and a foolish one tears it apart again with her own hands. What a verse, everybody. A wise woman builds her own life and a foolish one tears it down again with her own hands. Isn't that just so like us? Where rather than loving ourselves, we beat ourselves up. We, make, we give ourselves extravagant goals, high-level things that are, that, that are kind of as high as our own self-hatred is low. That, that, are, that, that we try to make ourselves be acceptable to the depth that we're self-rejecting ourselves. I'm going to do this. I, I just don't like my body when I look in the mirror, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up. I'm going I'm to work out eight hours a day. I can build my life until I'm big and huge and strong and everybody thinks I'm amazing. Why? Because I hate myself. I look at myself, I hate what I look at. See what I'm saying? When we love ourselves really, really, really well, we love our bodies, we love our decisions, we love our, our hopes, we, we, we love the way we, that we're doing things, we love our leadership ability. We love our followership ability. We love ourselves. And why do we love ourselves? Because 1 John 4 verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If he can look at me and say, you're the beloved. Be loved. Be loved. Be loved. Be loved. You are my beloved in whom I'm well pleased my son, my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. If daddy loves me and says I'm be loved, then who am I not to love me? I need to love me. In fact, to the measure that you love yourself is the measure to which you'll love others around you. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, when they said, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, to the measure that you love yourself, you'll love God and you'll love your neighbors. And by the way, you can't do either of those, any of those three things without my love first coming to you. And by the way, that love is the person of the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of cool, isn't it? So what I'd like you to do right now is I'd like you to turn to your friend someone next to you, and I want you to tell them how well you think you're loving God. Go ahead, tell them. Tell them how well you think you're loving God. Give them your self-assessment on how well you're loving God. 
Be brave, guys. I know it might feel uncomfortable. It might be comfortable. You might be like, I think I'm loving God really well. I set my heart last year and on being intimate with Jesus. I think I'm doing amazing. I'm doing better than ever in my life before, whatever it is. Or it might be, yeah, I think I could just improve a little here and there. Just, just tell your friend quickly. Okay, great. You should be finishing now and your friend start telling you now. Switch over and let somebody else uh, share how well they're doing. It's, it's not long. It's, it's, it's very short, snappy, just quick. I think, I'm, I think I lack in this or whatever it might be. Okay, good. All right, now I'd like you to do the same, okay? Do the same with this. Turn to your friend, your spouse, your children. How well you think you're doing with loving yourself? Go ahead. Tell your children how well you think you're loving yourself. Or tell your wife or your husband how well you think you're loving yourself. Yourself. And then tell them, I love myself in this way. These are the things that I do that are a result of my thoughts of how I love myself. Okay. All right, well, we're, gonna, we're just going to move on now into loving others, okay? Loving others. And if we're not careful, sometimes we can be tricked into thinking that we're loving others when really what we're doing is trying to get others to accept us out of our own self-rejection. Okay? Loving others, Jesus upgraded everything in Matthew chapter 6, 43 to 44, when he said this. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, which... Love is loving your neighbor, everybody. But he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, a lot of the time, we muddle up, what well, Murray's helped me to see this, we muddle up acceptance and love. We can look at a, a community of people, we could look at ourselves, and we can measure ourselves and think we're really loving when really what it is, is we're really accepting in that moment. How do we know that it's acceptance rather than love that we're giving when somebody that we don't accept comes into our world? And then we discover that what we, or we walk into a community that we thought was really loving, but the moment we don't think like them, look like them, sound like them, or carry the same values that they carry, all of a sudden we're rejected and they give us the right hand of fellowship or left hand of fellowship and we get the right or left boot. We're booted out, so to speak. And we all of a sudden are like, whoa, I thought you were the most loving community in the world. No, they were an accepting community on the basis that you look and felt and thought like them. And by the way, as humans, we do that all the time, don't we? And really that whole thing of false acceptance or false love that's acceptance is really on the shaky basis of rejection. Self-rejection or others' rejection. Love, on the other hand, love, we love our enemies. 
Love is what I do for you at the cost of me. And Jesus perfectly revealed love at the cross. So let's just take a moment, okay? I want you to think about your approach to public restrooms. No, because it's such a great example. So, you know, you've stopped off on the, on the highway and you go to the, uh, what's it called? Rest area. Thank you. Sorry, I just had a brain freeze. You come to the rest area. You know, your bladder's bursting or maybe perhaps some other part of your anatomy is bursting. And you walk in and you enter the first cubicle and you're like, oh my goodness gracious, what in the, that's a ex- nuclear explosion that's happened in there. There ain't no way I can do my business in there. There's zero peace right there. I'm going in here. And you go in there and it's immaculate. And you do your piece. If you're a guy, maybe, you forget to lift up the, up the seat because you, you don't care about others, frankly. You just pee all over it. Or maybe you just have bad aim and you miss. And maybe you do remember the seat up, but you get it all over the rim and, or you get it all over the floor. Or maybe even worse, you have a number two and you didn't quite get it and you get that all over the floor. And you do the very thing that the person who had the nuclear explosion does, but because it was them, you're upset with them, but now that it's you, you couldn't care less. And you get up and you're like, you don't even look back. You're just gone. And then God forbid you walk out without even washing your hands. And you spread your life around and give yourself away. But there's no fun and no joy in any of that giving yourself away. You know what love does? At the very basic area of our lives. Love walks in and love cleans up. Love cleans up the messes in other people's lives when no one's looking because you know God's looking. Love and self-respect, respect respect for others, self-respect for yourself. Love cleans up after yourself. So it's perfect for the next person because you love others. And you leave that place better And when he came in, Jesus said it like this, summing up the entire law and the prophets in Matthew 7 verse 12, what you desire others to be or to do, be that or do that to them or for them. Come on. And if you take my rather crass analogy, but it's just so good I couldn't resist it, because it's something every one of us can relate to. If we took that entire approach and we walk in love this year and we love God who we can't see by loving ourselves so well, we actually start to get to know our true selves. We love ourselves really, really well. And we quit rejecting ourselves. We start to accept ourselves. And then we start to love others out of the overflow of that love that God's filled us with for him, for, other, for ourselves, we start to love others really, really well. You know what? If we start to do that all this year, 
by the time Thanksgiving comes and Uncle Awkward comes to Thanksgiving, instead of dreading Uncle Awkward or Big Sister Big Sister Miscompetitiveness or Little Brother who's so insecure is always making me look an idiot. And instead of you approaching Thanksgiving with dread in your heart, you can approach Thanksgiving this year with a heart that says, I'm going to joyfully lay down my life for my family. I'm going to invite the stranger in for Thanksgiving because I'm going to joyfully lay my life down for the world. I'm not going to yell at my wife because I'm going to joyfully lay down my life for my wife. I'm not going to have that big public argument with my eldest son or daughter that we always have every year because they poke me and I end up saying a whole bunch of stuff I wished I didn't and I regret it. I'm not going to be like that anymore by the end of this year. Why? Because as I've rested in daddy's love and God's love, and I know that I'm the beloved in the beloved Jesus, and I'm filled with the spirit of God himself, the love of the lover and the beloved, I can start to truly love him with his love. And I can start to truly love myself with his love. And I can therefore truly love those around me. I can live a life where I joyfully give my life away. Let's stand. And you know, I just want to speak to you as parents for just a moment. Those of you who have children, whether they're kids in kids' ministry or whether it's youth in youth ministry age. You know, if there's one thing that this pandemic has given us the luxury of, it's being able to be and do church without sacrifice. Because we can decide, yeah, I don't want to go today. I'm just going to watch online. And, you know, this isn't to condemn anyone watching online. I love watching online. But never, ever kid yourself that merely attending online is going to give you the joy that God wants you to have of giving your life away. And I tell you what, I tell you who pays the highest price if all we do is participate with this church online, that church online, the other church online, or not going to church at all. You know what, I'm done with church. The whole pandemic was about a new form of church and I'm, I can be church wherever I want to go. You know who pays the price of that? Your children. Because they get, start to grow up without you gently bringing them constantly, nurturing them constantly to pay the price to hang out with other kids and to learn the word of God and to learn the ways of God from someone else because they've stopped listening to you now. Because you long ago lost the right for them to listen. But you know what? Kids ministry, the leaders, they'll teach them how to prophesy. They'll teach them how to hear the voice of God. They'll teach them how to, to open the eyes of the blind and do miracles and signs and wonders. They'll teach them how to lay down their lives, all their lives, no matter what their career, lay their life down for Jesus. The kids' ministry will do that for your children. And the youth ministry will do that for your youth. That when your youth hit that teenage years and now all of a sudden they're not so interested in church, the youth pastors, the youth leaders, the youth themselves will chase them down in love and bring them home again. Because that's what community that's full of love does. 
So let's not get tricked in this tra- pandemic that God is wanting to redefine church so that it no longer looks like you laying your life down and giving it away. Amen? Amen. All right, now, I just want to end with this. Put your hands up in the air. Last few moments. Holy Spirit, every one of us in this room, we cannot live in joy, in love, without you. And so we, res- we surrender to you in this moment. We're sorry for every way we have not loved you, not loved ourselves, not loved others, not lived in joy and not given our lives away. And we ask your forgiveness, Lord Jesus, wash us in your precious blood. And from this moment forward, Holy Spirit, we give our lives to you. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with Daddy's love, Jesus' love. Now just receive his love a moment. Just receive it. Receive that love. The Father's looking at you in the image of his, himself and his Son in you and loves you so well. He says, you are my beloved. My my be being loved, beloved. I love you. I love you. I love you whether you do what's right or whether you do what's wrong. I love you. I love you long before you ever did anything right or wrong. I love you. I love you so much you'll always want to do right. You'll never want to do wrong. It'll be my love motivates you so that you can be like my son Jesus. You can enjoy him. You can enjoy him forever. You can enjoy being like him, with him, in him. And I want to leave you with Hebrews 1 verse 9. The Father speaking over the Son, Jesus says, you loved righteousness, you hated evil, Therefore, God, your God, anointed you with the oil of joy, oil of gladness, above all your brothers and sisters, above all the world. Lord, would you let that be our experience out of our union with you, that we would love righteousness, we'd hate evil, not evil people, but evil sin. And Lord, that we would be so filled with so much joy we'd experience what Jesus experienced as he gave his life away as we give our lives away your indescribable joy in Jesus name Amen enjoy giving your life away in love